Good morning, everyone. It's a chatty kind of morning, isn't it? That's a good thing. It's good to be joyful in the Lord's house. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a joy it is to be with you today. For it's the day that the Lord has brought us here to worship Him, for He alone is worthy. And I welcome you, whether you're a longtime member or a new visitor or somewhere in between. The Lord has brought you to this place, and we are grateful for that. Now, if you are new, I would love to meet you. I'm going to be right outside under the portico after the worship service, so uh, please find me out there. Now, before we get started, as far as announcements go, let me just point you to your bulletin, because lots of things are happening all at once, okay? Tis the season. Like, for instance, congregational meeting one week from today for the purposes of electing deacons, and choosing carpet colors, those are the paint colors that were chosen. The samples are on the floor. Also, the deacons, the nominees for deacons are listed in your bulletin. So be aware of that and, and be in prayer for, for who you will choose and for all those that will serve. Now, other things happen. Tomorrow, we are having Monday Midday, and I'm actually going to be doing the Monday Midday about sort of the state of the denomination, and I'm going to give a little bit of history on what the ARP Church is. So I invite you for that. That's at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, speaking of our denomination, there will be no Wednesday evening prayer meeting this week due to the fact that I have to go down to Bon Clarkin for a board meeting for Outreach North America. So uh, I'm leaving Tuesday. I'll be back late Thursday night, but no Wednesday night service this week, so please be aware of that. Call me if you need me, though. Um, speaking also of the ARP again, we have a magazine. If you didn't know that, we have the ARP magazine, and lots of you subscribe to that. In the bulletin is the subscription cost, but it's actually inaccurate, um, and that's not our fault. We, we found out at the end of the week after things were printed. But the subscription cost is only $16.50 a year, so what's in the bulletin is $20. It's $16.50, so be aware of that. Now, uh, other things are happening, too, like Little Lambs is tonight at 5.30. Youth Group is tonight at 5.30. There's a joint meeting with the session and the diaconate at 3.30. And a big thing is coming up. Our annual Thanksgiving dinner, our holiday dinner is coming up. That's our youth group fundraiser. That's going to be on Saturday the 18th, okay? So it'll be here at the church. And we're going to do sort of a hybrid thing this year. We, we did it last year. Where you can come through, lots of people love just driving through and picking up plates. You can do that. Also, we're going to have tables set up, so we're kind of going to do both. Um, we are still in, in need of volunteers and other things, but I think there's a flyer in your bulletin or, or see Christy or Carrie if you have any questions on that. Um, Operation Christmas Child, we've been processing that. I spoke with Carol, and I think she told me there are four boxes. Is that right? Four boxes that don't have a label on them. So... If you filled one up and you didn't put a label on it, then, then please do that. See Carol and she can get that squared away. Now, again, that, that's a lot of things, I know, but a lot of things are happening. Be aware of your bulletin. Now, again, I welcome you. I, what a delight it is that the Lord is, has given us this time, that the Lord has given us this place that we can come together and worship him. Let's prepare our hearts now as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship is found in Psalm 46 this morning, and it says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. But the Lord of armies is with us. 
The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And in light of this, the psalmist issues an invitation when he says, Come, see the works of the Lord. He who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars to cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Be still and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. My friends, on multiple levels, this should bring us comfort and encouragement as we consider what's going on in the world around us, right? With wars and rumors of wars and so many terrible things happening. But the reality is, is that you might be facing things in your life that cause the external things of the world to seem very distant indeed. And yet, the same one who is the God of Jacob, the same fortress that topples nations, and oversees the affairs of the world is active in your life. He knows what you need better than anyone else, better than you know what you need. And out of love and mercy, he attends to you. And he's called you here to worship today as evidence of that. So now let's go to the Lord in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and then confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, as we come into this time, we come with grateful hearts, praising you for your provision, thanking you that you are the God that we have just read about in your word, that you are our strength and our shield. You are our ever-present help in trouble of any variety. And because you are our perfect, loving, heavenly Father, you attend to us. You provide that which is best. Even the fact that we are here today is evidence of this. So please guide us in this time. Let it be a time that glorifies you and sees your name lifted up. And let it also be a time where by your Holy Spirit you work in our hearts, work in our heads, and draw us to yourself that we would see your beauty and magnificence. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray now as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen indeed. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now as we continue to worship, take your hymnals and stand with me and turn number to number hymn, hymn number 132. I'm tongue-tied. Uh, the words are on the screen as we sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, number 132. <laughs>
you may be seated, but children, join me down front over here. Or over there. Let's see, do we have enough room? There we go. All righty. Well, Gabe, we're the only men folk up here again. <laughs> you okay with that? That's good. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. That was so nice, Chloe. You know what? Chloe, one of the reasons I like your good mornings so much, come on, buddy, you can sit right there in the middle. One of the reasons I like your good morning so much, and the rest of y'all's too, but Chloe's always out there. She's always loud. You don't know why that is. It's because Chloe has a good attitude. You know what that word attitude means? Can anybody give me a working definition of attitude? Yes, ma'am. Yes. That's a bad attitude. When you get mad or something, that's like it's having a bad attitude. Yes. And a good attitude is when you do good stuff. Yeah, that's a good definition. That's a good working definition. A good attitude is when you do good stuff. Now, attitude is a little word, but it affects a whole lot of things. Attitude is a big word uh, or little word described to use how a person thinks, right? How a person feels, how a person looks at life and evaluates or what they think about the things that they see and the the things that they experience. It's also how a person lives. Now, that's a lot rolled up into a little tiny word. That's why a man named Winston Churchill, y'all ever heard of Winston Churchill? One day you will, hopefully. But nevertheless, Winston Churchill said, attitude is a small thing that makes a big difference. Now you think about it, how you feel is important, right? How you think is important, how you look at life and what you do with the things that you encounter, those are all very important. Your attitude affects every area of your life, but guess what? Your attitude affects other people too. Y'all tell me, if you're in a rotten mood, right, and you're just stomping around the house and you're upset about everything, Is that a nice thing to be around when somebody's like that? No, no. In fact, sometimes people can't define the word attitude, but they have heard the word attitude used a lot. Sometimes people go, you got an attitude, right? I see you shaking your head, Olivia. I know that's that's what you've heard other people told, right? But anyway, uh, and me too. But attitudes are so important that the Bible tells us about the attitude that we should have. And it tells us in Philippians chapter 2, listen to this. It says in Philippians 2 verse 5 that you should have the same attitude as who? Who do you think? Olivia nailed it. Jesus. We should have the same attitude as Jesus. And Philippians 2 tells us all about Jesus' attitude. That he loved people, that he served people. And earlier in Philippians it says this. This is Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4. It says... Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, those are big words, but we understand what selfish means, right? When we're selfish, we just do the things we want to do, not what God wants us to do. And then it says, in humility, consider others as more important as yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his interests, but to the interest of others. Now, what that means is that the way that we have an attitude like Jesus is to consider each other more important than ourselves, to put each other first. To have an attitude like Jesus' attitude means not to be selfish, but instead to be kind, to be giving, to be gentle with each other. And the wonderful thing is this, y'all. Naturally, we want to be selfish, and we want to focus on what we want. But the only way that you're ever truly happy is by doing what God wants you to do. Because happiness comes and goes, but joy lasts. And when we have an attitude like Jesus, when we trust in him and when we love him and love others, that's when the Lord gives us joy. So I'm going to pray that he would give you joy, that you would have the same attitude as Jesus, 
And I'm going to pray that for the rest of us too because we definitely need it. Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, I thank you for these children. I pray that you would help them to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Just like your word says. Help them to put others first. Help them to be kind and help them to have a positive outlook because you've saved us and, and you take care of us. And we have so many reasons to be joyful. Help them to remember to be grateful. And I pray that you would do that with the rest of us too because it's so easy to have a bad attitude. And Father, please work in our hearts and show us how much you love us and care for us. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all can go. And now as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, great, great is your name in all the earth. You alone are seated on high in all of your majesty, ordaining and maintaining the events of the world around us. From of old, you have loved us and called us to be your people, working all things in our lives to bring us to this point, providing and withholding based on what's good for us, working, taking care of us, protecting us from things that we don't see, especially when those things are ourselves. But your love knows no bounds, for your majesty knows no bounds. Your holy, per perfect righteousness knows no bounds. And as we consider all of these things, and as we then turn the attention back to examining ourselves, we know that we fail. That despite what we know is in your word and what you've told us in countless places, instead of having the attitude of Christ, we have our own. Instead of seeking that which is pleasing to you, we would only go after that which pleases us, and if it happens to please you, then that's a good deal, but it, we can be so self-centered, so focused on our desires that we miss you. We can also become so focused on the events of this world and just live in life that we miss opportunities, and Father, you have called us to so much more. Forgive us for those times that we would have our way and not yours. Forgive us for those times when we would run ahead of you instead of waiting on you. Forgive us for those times that we doubt. And instead of living in light of your love and mercy and all the promises of your word, we look to the world for fulfillment. As the psalmist said, so we say, create in us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, but renew a right spirit within us here at Old Providence and all those who may be watching online, wherever this goes. Please be at work in our hearts that we would seek your face, that we would be the city on a hill, those lights of the world that you have called us to be, and that as a result of these things, the world would see and know your love and your mercy. Let us be eager to tell, eager to listen, eager to be your hands working around us to be a blessing. 
and renew our minds again and again by your Holy Spirit through your word and through prayer. We know we face challenges to these things, Father. Sometimes they are of the physical variety. We encounter sickness, injury, surgeries, all sorts of things, and we have folks that have had surgeries and sicknesses and are recovering. We have folks that are waiting on surgeries and are struggling as they wait. And we have all sorts of things in between. Please be with our people, physically speaking. Watch over them and renew them and bring them back to us. And yet we know that we are not limited to the physical. In fact, oftentimes it is the spiritual and the emotional that causes effect on the physical. So please work in our hearts. Give encouragement where it is needed. Where there is an issue of sin, please bring correction and that desire for right living. Not just because we must, but because we may and you know what's good for us. Work in our hearts and renew us again and again. As we consider the world around us, what's going on in Israel and other places, we pray for peace. As we've read this morning from your from the psalmist already that that you're the God who breaks the bow and shatters the spear and certainly this includes jets and, and tanks and missiles please bring peace as your word testifies you're able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine and that includes peace in an area of the world where it is so rare and yet nothing is beyond you And we would pray for that same peace in our lives, albeit of a different kind. Our Father, as we think about the world too, we know that there is hurting. We know that there is loss. We know that there is confusion. And we know that the true answer is Jesus Christ. So let your church grow. Let your light shine forth. And we pray that you would use us to be bearers of that light. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And now, considering what the Lord has done for us, let us sing of his goodness as we stand together and sing Bible song number 207, Grateful Adoration. Bible song number 207, that's the green book.
Let's go to our Lord. Our Father, as we have just lifted up, you are so good to us. Your, your provision continues and continues. And so now, as we return to you out of that goodness that you've given to us, I pray that you would bless the gift, the giver, that these would be used for your kingdom, for our good. And we pray it all for Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you so much, choir. What an excellent anthem. Um, that's Glorious Things of the Year. Spoken. I think it's the, I don't know what the tune name is. I just know the hymn. But it's one of my favorite hymn tunes. But the message of that is so powerful. Called to be God's people. Called to be his servants indeed. So thank you very much, choir, for that. Now, uh, perhaps you've already seen it. <clears throat> if you've looked in your bulletin, you might have. You might have seen the scripture passage. Maybe you've even seen the sermon title for today, which is Honor Workers for Christ. Now, that may come across as a bit odd in terms of sermon titles, but there's a very good reason I've chosen this for the title. The reason being that what we come to today in God's Word, in the book of Philippians, and it's Philippians 2, so you can go ahead and turn there, um, really is discourse, right? It's a bit of conversation in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Remember, We've talked about this before, where this is the Word of God. I'll say more on this in a moment. It's the Word of God, but remember, this is originally a letter between the Apostle Paul and the Philippians. And being a letter, there are portions of this letter that sound like a letter, where it's discourse revealing what, what Paul's doing. Where in here, the discourse we find is, is Paul is, is detailing not only his wants, right, his, his desires, his plans, what he, what he really wants to do, but he's also given this desire to be with the Philippians and those who he wants to send. Okay, and again, it, it's just a letter. If you recall, where we find Paul is, is he's writing this letter to the Philippians, but he's doing so from, from jail, right? He, he's part of... Uh, he's been arrested there. He, he's probably in Rome when he is writing this. But as he writes, he's confident that he's going to get out of jail. And he's jailed for following Christ, for preaching Christ. But he's confident that he's going to once again be with them. But while he's waiting, what he's doing here in this letter, just this communication, he mentions that he's going to send somebody back to minister to them, someone they'd sent to him first. And as we're about to read, he also writes to them of his desire to send Timothy. And Timothy was like a son to Paul in the ministry. And again, while this is just a simple letter, it's just communication, this is also God breathing out his word through Paul. And so what we find here as we read this conversation, really, between Paul and the Philippian church, is this communication between the two, what we find is this beautiful thing where it's a letter, yes, but because this is the word of God, principles are revealed. And they are principles that revolve around those who work for Christ, yes, but also for the church itself and how God has called the church to function. And these principles are ever so important that today, because we're God's people, because we're the church, we're called to follow these, although it be some 2,000 years later. Now, I've given enough of a, a preview of coming attractions for what we're about to read. Let's actually read it and let's find out what those ever so important principles for the church are for you and me today. But first, let's pray and then we'll dig in. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would work in our minds, that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. Without your help, we may gain some academic knowledge, some anecdotal knowledge. We may find something to store away on a shelf and say, oh, well, that's nice. But without the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, we will not be convicted. We will not see how then we are to live in light of what is given to us in your word. So please guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And so we are in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded uh, who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, 
my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him to you so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, like I was saying before, we've just read it. Do you see why I said that at first glance, this, this is very clearly Paul writing a letter to a particular group of people? And it is. He, he's including specific names, specific situations. He's talking about his situation, tells him his plan, tells him who he's going to send, tells him who he's sending right then and there. It's plain and it's not hard to understand. But in the midst of writing the Philippians, again, some extremely important principles are laid out concerning workers for Christ, workers for the Lord, and, and principles are laid out for how the church should function and, and who we're called to be as the people of God. And these principles revolve primarily around what Paul wrote concerning these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, Timothy, we know, right? Or at least we're familiar with Timothy. In our passage in verse 22, Paul talks about his background a little bit, right? How, how Timothy was like a son to him in the faith. We know that, that Timothy has worked with Paul, right? You may be familiar with First and Second Timothy in the Bible. Those books that were written or those letters that were written from Paul to Timothy. We even know from 2 Timothy chapter 1, we get a portion of his family here, that, that beautiful verse that shows us the effect that we can have on one another. Having been reminded of the sincere faith that is in you, this is Paul writing Timothy, having been reminded of the sincere faith that is in you, which lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. So we get this. Also, if you're following the daily devotionals, you know in chapter 16, we really just met Timothy, right? His mother was a believer or, or, or a God-fearer. His mother received the gospel. His father was a Gentile. And so you have this very interesting dynamic going on there where Paul knows Timothy. In fact, he even took Timothy with him at that point in the book of Acts. Now, um, again, my point is we know about Timothy. Epaphroditus? Not so much. In fact, he's got one of those names that if you sound it out, it's not that hard. But uh, interestingly enough, his name means child of Aphrodite, right? Uh, if you know anything about the, the, the Greek gods, Aphrodite was the goddess of fertility. The pagan society that he came from is reflected there. Um, we don't know much about him. In fact, he's really only mentioned two places in the whole Bible. And they're both in Philippians. We just read one of them. Church tradition says a lot of things, right? The, the Eastern Orthodox Church considers him to be a saint. We don't do the whole saint thing like they do, but that's why he's got the interesting looking picture there. But nevertheless, they, they consider Epaphroditus to be a saint. Church tradition says that he would go on to be head over the church in Philippi. Now, all we know is, is what is specifically mentioned in God's word. We know from what we read that he was sent by the Philippians to minister to Paul. What does that mean? We, we really don't know, y'all. We know that Paul's in prison. We know that in terms of prison, you know, today, today's prisons are very different than ancient prisons. There's a reason why in the New Testament the church is called to care for those who are in prison. Because if you didn't have somebody bringing you food and supplies, you'd just starve to death. Right? So they sent Epaphroditus to care for Paul while he was in prison. It was probably needs such as that. We, but again, we really don't know. We just know that he was sent to Paul. And that Paul, by what we have read, is sending him back. And there is that little thing that he nearly died in the service of the church at Philippi and in Paul's service. And apparently it was of sickness. Now, that's all we know. Nevertheless, overall, we do know that these two men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they are workers for Christ. 
He's sending Epaphroditus immediately. He hopes to send Timothy. Now, um, in the midst of all of what's going on here, this is where we find these principles, these ever so important principles. The first is revealed in what Paul said right at the start of the passage here. And and I'm going to read it again. This is what he said. He said, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who genuinely cares about your interests. All seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Now, what is this ever so important principle that is revealed in what we just read? Well, there's really a couple of things going on here. First is, it's the principle of what pastors are supposed to do and what God's people are supposed to do. What pastors are supposed to do, the primary calling for pastors is revealed right there in verse 20 where it says that Timothy will genuinely care about your interests. What's just been revealed is that what pastors are primarily supposed to do is to care about the people's interests. Now, what does that mean? First off, what it doesn't mean is interest as in hobbies, okay? That's a good thing, right? It's important. But when it uses the term interest here, really it's being used more like in the phrase, it is in your best interest to fill in the blank. In other words, interest, investment. It's that which is good for you. Pastors are first off supposed to care about the interests of God's people. But what that really means is that they're supposed to care about what's good for the people of God. And y'all, that's extremely important because that's you. You are the people of God. And when you called me, and and, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this now, this is awkward. I told the session right before we left the session meeting this morning, pray for me because it is awkward whenever pastors talk about pastoring. Right, And whenever they talk about what they're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to all that, that's just awkward, right? But I didn't write Philippians, and y'all should know by now that I'm not skipping, okay? When we come to it, we're going to deal with it, and, and we come to it today, so we've got to deal with it. But when you call me to be your pastor, whether you realize it or not, God's Word tells me, and what I have to answer for one day is whether or not I focused on what is good for old providence. And the way that I'm to do that is to preach, that, that, this is why I don't skip, it's to preach the whole counsel of God's word, it's to function as a pastor, it's lots of different things, but ultimately what is best for you and what my primary focus is as your pastor, what any pastor's primary focus ought to be is not seeking own interest, but those of Jesus Christ. Y'all, this is that ever so important principle that is revealed. What we found here is an indictment, really, of our human nature and and what comes naturally to us. I I talked about it with the kids earlier. Naturally speaking, we want to focus on our wants and on our perceived needs. But my friends, what's revealed here is that what's best for you and me, what's best for us, it's not our individual interests. It's not our wants and desires, not my wants and desires. What Jesus wants for you is what's best for you. And that's what Paul's really aiming at here. When you call a pastor, you call a pastor to see to that. But what's best for you is what Jesus wants for you. What's best for you is to be focused on what God would have you focused on. And so to that end, as your pastor, I have to ask you, what is your focus? Really, as you consider who you are, right, as you consider the dynamics of your life, where God has placed you in life, what is your focus? What what is the basis of your desire? Another way to ask it, why do you do what you do? I found that at different times in in life, our desires can really shift. We all tend to be pragmatic, you know, focusing on the end results of things. And it's true that in life, the squeaky wheel gets the oil or whatever metaphor saying you want to use. It doesn't always need to be that way. Just because that's the natural thing to do, it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. Instead, remember what we're told to do in chapter 2 of Philippians. Like I talked about with the kids, 
your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We're called to serve. We're called to be representatives for Christ in all that we do, in all areas of life, because Christianity is not just something that we reach up and take off of the shelf on Sunday morning because it's the holy hour. Christianity is not just something that we subscribe to like any number of things in life that I'm not saying aren't important, but y'all, we can treat Christianity like we can treat our choice of vehicle or, or our political affiliation or the food that you eat. I mean, you just say, oh, that's just a part of my life. Christianity is not called, you're not called to have Christianity as a part of your life. You're called to be a Christian and to really focus on Christ. And the fact is, is that when we have this mentality that the squeaky wheel gets the oil, when we just put our heads down and when we just say, well, I'm just going to keep on going. And we, and if we never stop to consider our focus, if we never stop to consider what our priorities ought to be, the fact is that we miss opportunities, y'all. And not only opportunities, we miss life, don't we? When you just put your head down and you just say, oh, I'm just going to get through it. How much of life just passes you by? I think that's one of the reasons why we're blinking and Thanksgiving is not too far off now. And then Christmas. And are you ready for this? 2024? Right? I remember when it was 1988, right? And, and I saw this incredibly disturbing thing about how far, 20, how far 1999 is from 2020. Anyway, when you start looking at the numbers and how quickly the years go by, it can be disturbing. And one of the things that leads to that is just putting your head down and going. Not evaluating your focus. Not seizing the opportunities that the Lord gives you. But the fact is this, it, it, God in his gracious provision and the way that he provides, he calls us out of that lifestyle and instead he calls us to himself. By his Holy Spirit, he, he does this through prayer. He does this through our reading his word. He does this through the preaching of his word and hence me telling you to do this today. So hear now the call. Examine your priorities and your focus. That's the first major principle revealed in this letter that Paul is writing to this particular group of people. Now, the second, as it relates to pastors and workers for Christ, those who dedicate themselves to a service for you, the second major principle revealed is the sermon title. And again, it's awkward, but I'm not skipping it. And that is to honor workers for Christ. Now, this is where this guy Epaphroditus comes in. As we've already read, after talking about his desire to send Timothy to the Philippians, after stating his own desire to come to him, Paul then writes that he's sending Epaphroditus back to him. Why? Well, first off, because of Epaphroditus' love for the Philippians. That's why. Paul then em embarks on this story in, in 25 through 27, talking about finding it necessary to send Epaphroditus back. He talks about the fact that he was sick, that he nearly died, but he's sending him back because he's there. And he uses two terms there, right? That he's their messenger and he's a minister. Now, this is a little confusing, but what Paul has just revealed is that Epaphroditus was a pastor who was with the Philippians first, and they sent him to Paul, and now he is sending them back. But Paul doesn't just send him back. He sends him back with the instruction for the Philippians that he be honored, that they rejoice for him. And Look at what he says here. Look at verse 28. He says, for this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. And then he says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Paul sent Epaphroditus back to the Philippians with this specific instruction that Epaphroditus and those like him be honored for his work in Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. He doesn't say how. But I think what's insinuated there is that the way that they honor Epaphroditus is that they would return the same love to Epaphroditus that Epaphroditus has for them. Why? 
Because Epaphroditus risked his very life for the sake of Christ and for them. In essence, he laid down his life for them and their ministry, being called as their pastor. And while, like I said, this is a letter from Paul to the Philippians, this is also God's word breathed out through Paul for God's people today. And because of this, again, that ever so important principle, honor those who work for Christ is revealed. Y'all, I got to be honest with you again. This is a heavy passage for me. And it's awkward because I know I'm your pastor, but some powerful truths are revealed here about the nature of ministry that you need to know. That sometimes people have never known and sometimes people forget. And what I'm saying to you now, obviously, I'm, I'm saying is your current pastor. But not knowing the future, right? How the Lord may work. The fact that we're all frail. I, I could get injured. I could get sick. I could get hit by a bus. I mean, you, I, I go to UVA quite often and y'all know how it is. there. Anyway, all sorts of things could happen. It, it, you may be looking for a new pastor. And, and I pray that that is not anytime soon. I mean it when I say that I love you and I love being here with you. My family loves you. So do not turn this into something that it's not, okay? I have no plans to, to go anywhere else. But nevertheless, what our passage is pointing out here is the nature of pastoral ministry. And should something happen to me, this is something you need to remember when you need a new pastor at, at some far distant point in the future, hopefully. But what I hope, again, you'll remember about why you called me here to be your pastor. It wasn't too long ago that I had my, my yearly review, for lack of a better term, with the admin committee from the session. And we were talking about different aspects of ministry, what it means to serve as a pastor, how I'm serving as pastor here. And in that meeting, I don't remember which one of the admin committee members it was, they, they talked about the nature of ministry and how... The job never ends and how the pastor is always on call. And, and, and certainly that's the case. But y'all, it, it's more than that. When you're a pastor, and this is what's being pointed out here by Epaphroditus' own life is this reality. When you're a pastor, the ministry is not a job or a vocation. And, and when a church calls a pastor, they're not telling a man that they want him to come and work for their church. And they're not telling that because of what we read today. The pastor is called to keep the people's best interest at heart, right? What we just read. And advance the cause of Christ. And because of this, the pastor, as an under-shepherd, is called to lay down his life for the church. That's what you called me to do. You didn't ask me to take a job. No, when you brought me here to be your pastor, you brought me here to give you my life. And to live my life for you. To make my life. Focusing on what God has revealed in his word. Uh, to make my life all about what is best for you. Being with you in all sorts of situations. Times of great joy and great sorrow. Intervening in situations that are life changing. Y'all that's one of the reasons the pastors are crazy. I wouldn't trust any of them if I were you. I mean I'm joking a little bit. But seriously how many major life changing situations do you find yourself in on a yearly basis? How many conversations do you have that have the power to absolutely change the course of one or multiple people's lives? It's pretty rare. But for pastors, it's all the time. And the only way you can do that well is if you're not doing a job, but instead you're living a life. That's why Epaphroditus didn't clock in and clock out. He laid down his life for the Philippians. When you call a pastor, it's a setting apart, you see, that takes place when a, when a man becomes a pastor and that he takes on a position that doesn't end until he ends. That's why I covet your prayers. That's why the scriptures say to honor those workers for Christ. That's why you should pray for all pastors because, y'all, the numbers are out. There's a book, and these are more recent updated numbers. The book is called The Pastor Has No Robes. You know, it's like from the emperor has no clothing, right? It's been exposed. When you look at the numbers, 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused or, or hurt by their trusted friends. 70% of pastors battle depression. Listen to this one. And this is updated in light of COVID. 
7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit each month. And that doesn't mean from a particular church. That means they are done with the ministry. Hence the next number, 10%. 10% of pastors that do what I did, which is go to college, go to seminary, get ordained, right? Follow the pastor. Nine out of 10 will not retire as pastors. And if you look at the guys that I graduated seminary with, it's true. They leave and they never come back. And I think that has to do uh, with a lot of the rest of the numbers here. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94%. And I I get emotional here, not because of of me or, or my family, but because of this, this brotherhood that I have, Kyle was here recently, and I, and I see pastors go through these things. But 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure. And I'll not continue with the rest, because I think you get the point. The statistics are troubling. Epaphroditus is just one example of a pastor who really, uh, he laid down himself for the cause of Christ. He did it for the Lord's people, but he did it willingly to God's glory. And y'all, I'm not a super Epaphroditus guy. I'm I'm not a, I'm not a super pastor. I, I fail and, and I, I have failed. But nevertheless, the the principle, the calling, is to honor those who work for Christ. And it goes beyond pastors. It goes to those who dedicate themselves to the Lord. Missionaries. Your elders. Your deacons. Those who offer their gifts in the choir. The list goes on and on for those who dedicate themselves to Christ. And therein is the other principle. Now, I meant to do a slide and I forgot to do it. We're all called to be workers for Christ. Some of us are set apart to be pastors. But all of us are called to be an Epaphroditus in our own way. Because that's what Christianity is, you see. Christianity is that thing, not that you just take off of the shelf, not that thing that you just subscribe to. It's the recognition that Jesus laid down his life for you. And you are called to lay down your life for him and for each other. Is it always clean? No, not at all. Sometimes it's very messy indeed. But my friends, it's the greatest calling on earth. And so again, I ask, what is your focus? If you know Christ, let your focus be him. If you are here today and you do not know him, and you know that you don't know him, believing in Jesus is not just about recognizing he exists. Believing in Jesus is faithfully submitting to him as Lord of your life, trusting in him. If you have never done this, do it today. Do not wait. See me after and and we will talk. But for everyone, let us take the time. Let us consider what our priorities are and what our real focus is. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we consider these words, these words that at first glance are just a letter this communication between Paul and the Philippians. It, we know there's so much more. For in them is revealed the principle of who we are to be. Forgive us for those times when we haven't been your workers. When we've taken up our life instead of losing it for you. Work in our hearts. 
that our priorities would be that which you have for us, that our focus would be your kingdom, that it would come. And for those that do not know you who are here, oh, Father, work in their hearts. Break up that rocky soil so that the seed of the gospel would take root. Let them see that you are not far away, but instead they need only cry out to you. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we close our time together in light of this calling from God's word, let's sing of the church's one foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Hymn number 437. Please stand with me as we sing. Receive now the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.